Part two, chapter four of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part two, chapter four. On the morrow he awoke weak, but with a cool brow. The fever had left him. It seemed to him that a whispered conversation had aroused him. When he opened his eyes, however, Lygia was not beside him. Ursus, bending over the fireplace, was raking the gray ashes away from the live coals beneath them. These he blew upon, not merely with his lips, but as if his lungs were a pair of bellows. Vinicius, remembering how yesterday this man had crushed Croto, gazed with the critical interest of a gladiatorial connoisseur at his cyclopean back and his column-like thighs. "'Mercury be thanked that he did not break my neck,' reflected Vinicius. "'By Pollux, if all other legions are like him, there is a hard task before the legions of the Danube.' He called aloud, "'What ho there, slave!' Ursus withdrew his head from the fireplace. With a friendly smile he said, "'God give thee a good day, master, a happy day and good health, but I am a free man, not a slave.' Vinicius, anxious to question Ursus concerning Lydia's native place, was pleased by these words, for conversation with a free man, however simple, brought less humiliation to his Roman and patrician dignity than with a slave in whom neither law nor custom recognized a human being. "'Dost thou not belong to Aulus?' he asked. "'No, master, I serve Kalina, as I served her mother, but by my own free will.' Once more he hid his head in the fireplace, to blow out the coal, on which he placed a bundle of wood. He withdrew it for a moment to say, "'Among us there are no slaves.' "'Where is Lygia?' asked Vinicius. "'She has just gone out, and I have to cook thy breakfast, master. She kept awake all night to watch thee. Why didst thou not take her place? Because she willed it so, and my duty is to obey.' Here his brow darkened. Next moment he added, had i not obeyed her thou hadst not now been alive master art thou sorry that thou didst not kill me nay master christ did not command us to kill and atacinus and croto i could not restrain myself murmured ursus he gazed regretfully at his hands which had evidently remained pagan though the soul had been baptized he put a pot on the fireplace crouching down beside the fire he fixed a thoughtful regard on the flame "'Tis thy fault, master,' he said at length. "'Why didst thou raise thy hand against her, the daughter of a king?' Indignant pride was the first emotion aroused in Vinicius, that a common man and a barbarian dared not merely to address him so familiarly, but even to reprove him. To the strange and uncommon circumstances which had environed him since last night a new one had been added but weak as he was and without his slaves around him he restrained himself the more that he wished to obtain further particulars of the past life of lygia recovering himself he inquired about the war of the lygians against vanius and the suaves ursus was more than willing to talk but he could add little new to what vinicius had already heard from aulus plautius Ursus had not taken part in the battle, for he had conducted the hostages to the camp of Atelius Hister. He only knew that the Lygians had vanquished the Suevi and the Yazyges, but that their leader and king had fallen beneath the shafts of the Yazyges. News had quickly followed that the Semnones had set fire to the forests on their frontiers. They returned at once to avenge the injury. The hostages had been left with Atelius, who at first ordered that they should be treated with royal honor. 
soon after lygia's mother had died the roman leader did not know what to do with the child ursus wished to return with it to the fatherland but the road was infested with wild beasts and savage tribes so when the news came that a lygian embassy had waited on pomponius to propose that they should become allies with him against the marcomanni hister sent them to pomponius from him however they learned that no embassy had arrived there and thus they remained in the camp thither pomponius took them to rome and after his triumph handed lygia over to pomponia Graecina. Vinicius, though few of these details were unknown to him, listened with pleasure, because his overweening patrician pride was elated that an eyewitness existed to the royal lineage of Lygia. As a king's daughter she could take a place in Caesar's court equal to that of the daughters of the first families, the more so that the people over whom her father ruled had never hitherto warred against Rome. It was barbarian, indeed, but it was formidable, for, according to the testimony of Atelius Hister himself, it possessed innumerable warriors. Ursus fully confirmed all this. When questioned by Vinicius about the Lygians, he replied, We are denizens of the forest, but we possess so much land that no one knows its confines, and we are large in numbers. There are towns in the forest built of wood. Here are many rare treasures. For what the Semnones, the Marcomanni, the Vandals, and the Quadis despoil from the world, we in our turn plunder from them. They dare not invade us. Only when the wind blows from their quarter they burn our forests. We are afraid neither of them nor of the Roman emperor. The gods gave to the Romans the sovereignty over the world, said Vinicius, with dignity. The gods are evil spirits, said Ursus, simply. Where there are no Romans there is no sovereignty he stirred the fire and continued as if to himself when caesar took calina to his court and i thought evil might befall her i wished to go far away into the forests and bring with me a regiment of lygians to help the king's daughter gladly would they have gone to the danube for they are good and brave though pagans and i should have brought them good news even as it is should calina ever return to pomponia Graecina, i will crave permission to go to them for christ was born in a far-off place and they have never heard of him he knew better than i where it was right that he should be born but if he had come into the world in our forests we would not have tortured and crucified him we would have brought up the child and cared for it so that it would never have wanted for game nor mushrooms nor skins of beaver nor amber whatever we could have plundered from the suaves or marcomanni we should have given to him so that it could have plenty of comfort he placed on the fire the vessel containing broth for Vinicius. He paused in the flow of his talk. Evidently his mind was wandering to the Lygian forests. When the liquid began to simmer, he poured it into a shallow plate. Cooling it, he continued, Glaucus advises thee, master, that thou movest thy sound arm as little as possible, therefore Kalina has asked me to wait on thee lygia commanded this then no denial was possible no thought of opposition to her will crossed vinicius's brain he obeyed as implicitly as if she had been the daughter of a caesar or a divinity ursus seating himself by his couch dished up the broth in a small cup which he presented to the patient's lips he did this so carefully with so kindly a smile in his blue eyes that vinicius could hardly accept the testimony of his own senses that this was the same titan who last night after crushing croto fell upon him like a tempest that would have torn him limb from limb but for lygia's intercession 
for the first time in his life the young patrician began to ponder over the question as to what strange emotions and thoughts might be at work in the breast of a ruffian a servant and a barbarian ursus as a nurse was as awkward as he was willing the cup lost itself so completely among his herculean fingers that no place remained for the lips of vinitius after several vain efforts the giant lost heart uh, it would be easier to lead a bison from out a tangled wilderness vinitius was amused by the crestfallen look of the lygian he was no less interested in his conversation in the circuses he had seen the terrible wild bull from the northern fastnesses whom the bravest hunters pursued with fear and whom only the elephant exceeded in strength and bulk hast thou ever tried to take such beasts by the horn he asked in amazement until twenty winters had passed over me i was afraid but i then mustered up sufficient courage for the task again he strove to feed vinitius more awkwardly than ever i must seek the help of miriam or nazarius he said just then the pale face of lygia was thrust out from behind the curtain i will help you presently she said next moment she had come out from the bedroom where evidently she had been preparing for sleep as she was clad only in a tight-fitting tunic called by the ancients a capitium her hair was unbound vinitius whose heart throbbed more quickly at sight of her remonstrated with her for not having yet sought her couch but she replied gaily i was just making ready for it but first i will take the place of ursus taking the cup from ursus she seated herself at the edge of the couch and began to feed vinitius he experienced a mixture of humiliation and joy when she bent towards him he felt the warmth of her body and her long tresses rested on his breast he paled with emotion in the torment and turmoil of passion he felt that there was a head dear and venerated beyond everything in comparison with which the whole world was as nothing once it had been mere passion which she had excited now he felt that he loved her with all his heart once like all people of his time he was a blind and utter egotist both in life and in feeling who cared only for himself now he cared only for her soon he declined any more food though he found boundless delight in her presence and in gazing at her he said enough go to rest o thou my divinity do not call me that i ought not to listen said lygia nevertheless she smiled she insisted that she had lost all desire for sleep that she felt no fatigue and that she would not retire to rest before the coming of glaucus her words were music in his ears his heart overflowed with still greater emotion still greater ecstasy still greater thankfulness and he despaired of manifesting that thankfulness lygia he said after a short pause hitherto i have known thee not but now i know that i would have gained thee by wrong means so now i tell thee go back to pomponia graecina and be assured that henceforth no one will raise a hand against thee her face fell it would give me great happiness if i could so much as catch a glimpse of her from afar but i cannot go back to her why marvelled vinitius we christians know through actia what is happening on the palatine hast thou not heard that caesar soon after my escape and before his departure to naples summoned aulus and pomponia and suspecting that they had assisted me menaced them with his wrath happily aulus was able to reply thou knowest lord that a lie has never passed my lips therefore now i swear to thee that we did not assist her to escape and that we know no more than thou what hast become of her caesar believed and soon forgot 
but by the advice of the elders i have never communicated with my mother nor told her where i was so that she always could boldly swear complete ignorance of my whereabouts thou mayest not understand vinitius that we are not allowed to lie even were our life at stake such is the teaching to which we conform our hearts so i have not seen pomponia since i left her abode from time to time far-off rumours reached her ears assuring her that i was safe here a great longing overcame her her eyes filled with tears she soon recovered herself and said i know that pomponia is longing for me but we have consolations unknown to others yes answered vinitius your consolation is christ but that is something i cannot understand look on us we have no partings no sorrows no sufferings or if they do come they are changed into joys death itself which for you is the end of life for us is only its commencement a change from a state of minor to greater happiness of minor calm to a higher which shall endure for eternity think of a faith which commands us to love even our enemies forbids lies cleanses our souls from evil and promises illimitable happiness after death i heard all this in ostranium i have seen how you behaved towards me and chilo and when i think of all this it seems a dream i would fain disbelieve my ears and my eyes but now answer another question art thou happy yes replied lygia confessing christ i cannot be unhappy vinitius gazed at her as if that which she spoke were altogether beyond human understanding and wouldst thou not go back to pomponia i would with all my heart i shall do so if such be the will of god then i say to thee go back in the name of my lares i swear that i will never raise my hand against thee lygia pondered for a moment and then replied no i cannot expose my dear ones to peril caesar does not love the family of plautius if i go back you know the slaves scatter news throughout rome the fact would soon be rumoured within the city nero undoubtedly would learn it from his slaves he would punish aulus and pomponia he would tear me away from them once more yea said vinitius knitting his brows that is possible he would do this if only to show that his will must be fulfilled true he only forgot thee and he would only remember thee for that it was i not he that was offended but perchance if he took thee away from aulus he would bestow thee on me then i would return thee to pomponia sorrowfully she asked vinitius would you see me again on the palatine he ground his teeth together and replied no thou art right i spoke as a fool no it seemed to him that a bottomless abyss opened out before him he was a patrician a military tribune a mighty man but above all the power and the authority of the world to which he belonged stood a madman whose evil passions and evil will were beyond human ken not to take him into account not to dread him was possible only to people like the christians for whom this world with its separations sufferings and death itself were as nothing all others must tremble before him the terrors of the times in which they were living presented themselves to vinitius in all their monstrosity therefore he could not return lygia to the auli fearful that the monster would remember her and pour his wrath upon her for the same reason should he wed her he would imperil her himself and the auli a moment of irritation would suffice to destroy all for the first time in his life vinitius felt that the whole world needed a change a regeneration or life itself would become impossible 
and further he felt this which a moment before had been dark to him that in such times the christian only could be happy but above all remorse fell upon him as he recognized that it was he himself who had so tangled up his own life and lygia's that no disentanglement seemed possible under the influence of this remorse he began to speak knowest thou that thou art happier than i in poverty in this one room in the midst of base-born people thou hast thy creed and thy christ i have only thee and when i lost thee i was like an outcast who has no roof above him nor bread to eat thou art for me dearer than all the world i sought thee for that i could not live without thee i cared neither for banquets nor for sleep save for the hope of finding thee i should have thrown myself on my sword but i am afraid of death for dead i could not see thee i say but the frankest truth when i say that i cannot live without thee hitherto i have lived only in the hope of finding and seeing thee rememberest thou our discourses at the auli once thou didst draw upon the sand a fish i knew not what it meant rememberest thou how we played ball even then i loved thee more than life even then thou hadst begun to perceive that i loved thee and aulus came scaring us with talk of the libitina and broke up our discourse when we took leave pomponia told petronius that god is one almighty and all-merciful but it did not come into our minds to conceive that your god is christ let him return thee to me and i will love him although he seems to be a god of slaves aliens and outcasts thou sittest by me and thinkest only of him think also of me or i shall hate him to me thou alone art a divinity blessed be thy father and thy mother blessed be the land which brought thee forth would that i could cast my arms around thy feet and pray to thee shower honours upon thee cover thee with offerings humble myself before thee o oh, thou thrice divine thou knowest not nor canst thou know how much i love thee he passed his hand over his pale forehead and half closed his eyes his nature knew neither let nor hindrance in anger or in love he spoke with wild passion as a man who losing self-mastery places no check to his words or his emotions he spoke from the deeps of his soul frankly and openly from his heart it was evident that the pain ecstasy passion and adoration gathered in his breast were now let loose in an irresistible torrent of words to lygia these words seemed sacrilegious nevertheless her heart throbbed as though it would rend the tunic that invested her bosom she could not help feeling pity for him and for his sufferings she was moved by the adoration which he poured out before her she felt that she was loved and deified beyond measure felt that this imperious and terrible man now belonged to her soul and body like a slave this recognition of his submission and her own power filled her with happiness her memories revived in all their original force again he was the same vinitius splendid and beautiful as a pagan god who in the house of the auli had spoken to her of love and awakened her yet childish heart as from a dream the same whose kisses she still felt on her lips the same from whom ursus had torn her away on the palatine as though he were tearing her away from the flames but now with mingled pain and ecstasy on his eagle face with pale forehead and imploring eyes 
wounded and crushed by love full of adoration and of humility he came closer to that ideal which she would have him realize that ideal which she could love with her whole heart and therefore he was now dearer to her than ever then she realized that an hour might come when her love for him might carry her off her feet like a whirlwind and she too felt as vinitius had just felt that she stood on the edge of a precipice was it for this that she had left the auli for this that she had saved herself by flight for this that she had so long lain hidden in the poorer quarters of the city who was this vinitius an augustale a soldier one of nero's courtiers he has taken part in caesar's mad debauches as was proved by that banquet which lygia could never forget he had gone to the temples with the others and made offerings to depraved gods in whom mayhap he had little faith though he gave them official honors he had pursued her in order to make her his slave and his mistress he had cast her into the midst of that terrible world of luxury debauchery and depravity that called aloud for the wrath and vengeance of god true he seemed changed yet but a moment ago he had told her that if she thought more of christ than of him he would hate christ to lygia it seemed that the mere thought of any other love than the love of christ was in itself a sin against him and against his teachings when therefore she saw that at the bottom of her soul other feelings and desires could be awakened fear seized her as to her own future and her own heart at this moment of mental disturbance glaucus entered he had come to dress the wounds of the patient and to see how he was progressing for a moment anger and impatience flashed in the eye of vinitius the interruption made him wroth when glaucus questioned him he answered almost scornfully he calmed himself almost instantly but if lygia had preserved any faint illusion that what he had heard in ostranium would soften his unbending nature that illusion must at once have been dispelled there was a change only towards her behind that single feeling his heart retained all the old fierceness and egoism roman and wolfish incapable not only of realizing the sweetness of christianity but even of common gratitude she left the room full of inner sorrow and inquietude hitherto in her prayers she had offered to christ a calm heart a heart as truly pure as a tear now the calm was disturbed within the petals of the flower a poisonous worm had intruded itself and commenced its ravages sleep itself notwithstanding two wakeful nights brought her no peace of mind she dreamed that at ostranium nero leading a troop of augustales bacchantes corybantes and gladiators was crushing throngs of christians under the wheels of his rose-covered chariot and that vinitius grasping her in his arms pulled her into the chariot and tightening his embrace about her whispered come with us End of part two, chapter four.